technology is working. Uh, victory already. Well, good morning. Good morning. It is, it is great to be with you this morning. Uh, I kind of feel at home. I've served at Christ EPC just down the road in Houston uh, from 1994 to 2004 and got to know your former pastor, Buck Oliphant, who would occasionally be gone and asked me to come and preach God's word to you, and that was a lot of fun. Got to know some people who now I, I call old friends in both senses of the word, the Covers and Tom Lott and Alan and Pat White and some others. And, and then this morning to get to worship with uh, my former brother pastor at Christ EPC, John and Debbie Crimmins. It's great to see you. What are you doing here? <laughs> me too me too you know i when we were at christ epc you know preachers that's all the trash we can talk is to say well you guys are not evangelical anymore down at christ presbyterian we don't really mean it but it's fun but um yeah so it, karen and i like to come here to worship every so often to get our epc fix because we love the EPC. We think it's a, it's a great denomination, and we're glad to be a part of it. A few weeks ago when Carter said to me uh, he was going to the Holy Land, could I preach? I thought, well, this is great. Uh, you know, I, when he said the Holy Land, I thought, well, I'm Norwegian, so Carter must be going to Norway. And uh, I, I guess if he couldn't go to Norway, he's in Israel, so that's uh, okay. But I'm, I'm really honored and privileged to be able to share God's word with you this morning. I, after my uh, 10 years here, I uh, was called to Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Warsaw, Indiana. When they first told me I would, uh, there was a church available in Warsaw, I said, yeah, like Eastern Europe is not really on my bucket list. And uh, the stated clerk of our denomination knocked me out of golf cart we were sitting. No, Warsaw, Indiana. Okay, so actually went there and served there for five years as their senior pastor and really enjoyed the time. After that, I went to uh, Montreat, which probably really is the Holy Land, and uh, served Montreat for, in the church there for six years and then did a couple of turns as uh, what we call now call a transitional pastor, going into a church that had some issues, some problems, and uh, helped to bring some order and restoration healing there. And then I came, uh, we came back to Houston with COVID. I was serving uh, in the Presbytery of the Mid-Atlantic, uh, which is at that time was North and South Carolina, Virginia and West Virginia, and uh, pretty large territory, kind of like this one now, and uh, was serving there with COVID. Uh, I was doing a lot of Zoom meetings and this and that and sitting in my study one day, um, in Montreat, in the mountains, in God's country. My wife said to me, you know, you could do this job from anywhere, couldn't you? <laughs> yes. Well, you know we're coming back to Houston because our kids and our grandkids are all here. We didn't come for the weather. I know that's a shock to you, but uh, yes. And so we, we came and uh, in 2020 we were here and uh, have had all, just, just love being back here love being with you all. But when I was in, uh, in Warsaw, Indiana, one, one Sunday I was having to fly to Pittsburgh for denominational business, and I had an early, early afternoon flight, which meant that I had to quit 
message on time, which for a pastor is a real stretch. But uh, we, we had our first service in Sunday school and then the second service, traditional service, got done on time. I took my robe off, put my suit on, uh, got in my car and drove to the airport in South Bend, got on the plane. Uh, as it was taking off, I was really excited because uh, I now had two plus hours to be alone, to read. And I'd gotten John Piper's new book on uh, evangelizing the millennial generation. And I, and I was really excited. I, I'd gotten it a couple of weeks earlier and couldn't get to it. And finally now I knew I had these two wonderful hours, just me and John. It was gonna be glorious. So I slid into my seat, put my suitcase in the bin and opened my book and plane is taken off and I started reading and oh, life was good. Then I hear this sweet little voice from the sweet little lady next to me. Is that a good book? <laughs> well, I think so. I, I read a lot of this, man. I'm hoping it's a good book. Oh. Do you read a lot of books like that? Um, yes, ma'am, I do. Well, could I ask you a question? Are you a pastor? And I, the evil side of me wants to say, lady, it's early Sunday afternoon. I'm flying on an airplane wearing a suit. What do you think? Fortunately, Fortunately, cooler heads prevailed, and I just thought, yes, ma'am, I am. Well, I've never been this close to a, to a pastor. Could I, could I ask you a, a question? Oh, I really didn't. I did not want to be interrupted. I just wanted to be left alone, just me and John. We were ready. You ever feel that way? I mean, honestly, do you, you ever just want to be alone and, and not talk about your faith or God or Jesus or any of that stuff? Well, if you're willing to admit that now I'm not the, well, I may be the worst person you know, but you're in this with me, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine, a friend that I call the world's most reluctant missionary. Things were going well for him. His name was Jonah. And Jonah was doing really well. He, he, was, he was a prophet. And he was a prophet and Jeroboam II was king. This is about 790s to 750s. And, and life is good. Not so much for, for Jonah's other prophets who are like Amos, Amos and Hosea. Amos and Hosea were typical prophets. Their message to the king was, repent. You and all of Israel need to repent of your idolatry and turn from your wicked ways. Turn or burn. That's kind of the typical prophet message, isn't it? Well, not so Jonah. For Jonah, life is good. Jonah, Jonah is, is in with the king, and the king says to him, Jonah, Jonah, I, I believe that God has called me to go out and retake some of the territory that we'd lost when, when our enemies had invaded and take, taken our land. If I do this, will God bless me? Well, Jonah gives the right answer. 
And so Jeroboam II goes and he retakes a bunch of this land. So needless to say, Jonah is now on the A-list for all the really good palace parties. Thing, things are good. And then God interrupts him. God breaks in and makes the most unthinkable, unreasonable request. Jonah, I want you to leave this popularity, the security, the comfort of everything you have and put yourself in harm's way. Well, friends, I invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1, uh, and I'll be reading the whole chapter. Jonah, if you get to Matthew, just come back about 20 or 30 pages or look it up in the book of the table of contents. Are you with your electronic computers? This is not a stretch for you. But Jonah chapter 1, it, it's, a, it's a great story. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, large print, genuine leather edition. And I ask you to stand with me as we read from God's holy word. Friends, this is the best thing you will hear all morning. This is the word of the Lord. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. They said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. Whose fault is this? Right? Then they said to him, So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you? that the sea may quiet down for, for us. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O oh Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, 
hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And it's absolutely true, and it's given to us in love for our good. Please be seated. Please be seated. I want to organize, organize my thoughts from this chapter of God's word around the word great. The word great. We see it several times, and, and I want to use it to kind of walk, this, walk through this chapter with you. First, the great city. God says to Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Now, Nineveh truly was a great city. It may well have been the largest city uh, in, uh, in the world at that time. It was a royal city. It was the capital of Assyria, and Assyria was probably the most powerful nation on earth at that time. It's located in what we would think of as modern-day Mosul. Probably about 300 square miles, roughly the size of Charlotte, a little bit, little bit smaller than San Antonio, a little bit larger than Fort Worth. It had a big protective wall around it. This wall was 100 feet tall, and it was wide enough for three chariots to go side by side. NASCAR guys, think about that for a minute, right? This, this wall was incredible. It took over a million men to build it. The wall was 200 feet tall, and every, every, two, every so often there was a tower. There were 1,500 towers around the wall, each tower another 100 feet tall, so that watchmen could be on guard protecting the town. The town was, was great in terms of size, political importance. It was also great in terms of its military might. Their military gods were, were the god of, of war, the god of the chase, and they were especially brutal, especially brutal to their enemies. One of their conquering generals, Asher Nasserpol, wrote this, it's a little close to lunchtime, but this is what he said. He said, I flayed the skin from as many nobles as had rebelled against me and draped their skin over the pile of corpses. I cut off the heads of their fighters and built with them a tower before their city. I captured many troops alive. I cut off some of their noses, ears, and extremities. I gouged out the eyes of many troops. I made one pile of the living and one of the dead. I hung their heads around on trees around the city. Now, now can you understand why Jonah may not have been a little bit nervous about going to this town, city? Can you understand why he'd been reluctant to go? Nineveh was, was a great city. It was great in the area of wickedness, too. They weren't just bad. They were, they were purposely, proactively evil. Great, wicked city. And God would have been right to destroy it, wouldn't he? I mean, think about how bad these people are. God would have just been right to, just to say, okay, we're done. We're done. Fire and brimstone. I'm going to destroy the city. And yet, in order to display his grace, God shows mercy to the city of Nineveh. 
He wants to show his mercy, and he wants Jonah to deliver that message. And so as we just pause for a moment, I want to ask you, what, what do you think to be the outer limits of God's grace? What are the outer limits of God's grace? I know, as, we, as we look at our, our, not Katy, but Houston and others, how, how wicked, how wicked are our cities, our states, our country, our nation? It, every time we think it just can't get any worse. It can't get any more warped. It can't get any more perverted. Something happens. Something happens. Do we care? Do we care? We, we know a day is, of judgment is coming. That day is coming, but until that day comes, shouldn't our message be to, to people we know and even people we don't know, turn, turn, turn from evil and turn to God. Come to faith in Jesus. Become his child today. See, God cared about Nineveh. He cares about us, and he cares about those around us. But do we care about them? The great city. Second, this is great. God hurls a great wind at the boat that Jonah's Now, now think, think of that. Just kind of picture that. God, the God of the universe, takes a storm in his hand, and he hurls it at Jonah and this little ship. I know some of you want to sing Gilligan's Island, maybe <laughs> later, but, but think about this. Jonah wouldn't go. Jonah wouldn't go and do what God told him. In fact, Jonah went the opposite way. And so <laughs> Jonah went to a place called Tarshish. Now, Tarshish is not exactly a city by the bay. It's not exactly a vacation resort. Tarshish is a town known for its smelting works. You know, smelting works smelt really bad, don't they? The town was known for its, its gray skies and its foul odor. This place was preferable to Jonah obeying God. God hurled this great wind at Jonah and at those in the ship. A violent storm threatened to break up the ship. The sailors were all afraid. And these were skilled seamen. They weren't afraid of nothing. And yet, they were afraid. And they called out to their gods looking for deliverance. They were even willing to throw the cargo over and lose a lot of money on the deal. If only they could be saved. Where's Jonah? Well, yeah, where is Jonah? Jonah is fast asleep. Think about that. The world is perishing around him. The people he's with are perishing. And the captain comes to him and says, Jonah, arise. Interestingly, that same word, arise, was the word that God used in saying to Jonah, Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh. Now the captain is saying, Jonah, arise. Get the message. Jonah, arise. Call out to your God. We need everyone praying. We need all the help we can get. And I want to ask you, is this maybe kind of a picture of the church today? The whole world is perishing. And what are we doing? We're, we're asleep. Or, or we've walled ourselves off. We don't want to get involved. We don't want to get involved with those messy people, you know, the people who look bad, smell bad, drink bad, and vote for the wrong political party. We don't want to... We've walled ourselves off. Is this a picture of the church? I, I think it is. 
But, but forget about the church out there. What about the church in here? And what about the church right here in me? Do you know what this sweet little lady wanted to talk to me about? Do you know what was so important that I had to close my book and put it away and listen to her? Well, I'll tell you. A few months earlier, her son, who was deeply troubled, got in his little car and he started heading down a two-lane road at a high rate of speed. And when an 18-wheeler was coming the other way, in the opposite direction, her son came across the center line and hit that car, hit the truck. He was instantly killed. And she'd gone to a priest, and the priest had told her that if her son took his own life, that he was now in hell. And she went to a Protestant minister, and he told her the same thing. And this lady looked at me with tears in her eyes and said, is that true? Is that true? Is my son in, in hell because he took his own life? I'm a really bad person, and now you know. I mean, is that moment that God did to me as he does sometimes? He takes out this two by four of love and he whacked me upside the head. I felt so bad. I was a total idiot. I mean, I, I almost lost the opportunity for God to use me to be a friend to this little hurting lady for just, just a few moments, just because I wanted me time. I wanted to be alone with my book, a book about reaching people for Christ. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I wanted to reach, I wanted to reach the whole world about this little lady right here in front of me. How about you? How about you? Have you ever allowed yourself to fall into a deep sleep so that you're unaware of people around you, people who are in a real storm in their life, people who need Jesus? Maybe, maybe it's someone you work with in the, in the cubicle next to you or a, a mom or dad, a parent of of some of the kids who go to school, go to your school, or, or maybe in your playgroup together. Someone who sits next to you in class, or maybe a neighbor next door, or maybe, maybe a spouse or a child. I mean, have, have you been running from God? Have you become so numb to those around you that you just don't care? You're not aware? Friends, for Pete's sake, it happened to a prophet, a man of God. And if it can happen to him, it can happen to you, and it can happen to me. And if you're now experiencing the two-by-four of love, I want to say maybe repent. Talk to God about it. Confess. Confess to him your sin. Ask him to forgive you, to open your eyes and your ears, and see if he won't hasn't put someone in your path, someone who needs Jesus. Well, third, we see a great fear. When Jonah is finally faithful to God, God produces a great fear in the sailors, but it's actually a fear that leads them to worship God. 
The great wind produced a great storm, which produced a great fear, but it wasn't the storm that produced the great fear. Really, it was how the storm ended. See, as the storm rages and the, the sailors and all have gathered to, to draw lots to see whose fault is this, they find out that it is Jonah's fault. And so they ask him, who are you? Where do you come from? What have you done? Jonah says, I, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the God of the sea and the land. Sailors then say, what should we do? And Jonah says, throw me into the water. See, Jonah, give him a little bit of credit. He's now willing to lose his life to save these people that he really didn't even know, but who needed saving. So finally, they throw Jonah overboard. I mean, they must have reasoned. If, if God will do this, send this kind of storm to someone who's running away from him, what will he do to those of us who are aiding and abetting him in this despicable act? So finally, they throw him overboard. And then in verse 15, we read the most incredible thing. Verse 15, the sea ceased from its raging. It ceased from its raging. Why am I making a point of that? The men feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered sacrifices and made vows to him. Afraid of the storm, yes, but they were even more afraid of what happened when the storm went away. See, the storm immediately stopped. It wasn't just that the seas were rough and rough and then things started to slow down and finally they could say, ah, oh, we cheated death again. No, in this case, in this case, the sea was rough and tumble and it stopped. These were men of the sea. They could tell this was not the usual case. It wasn't a gradual receding, but an immediate cessation. And this brought even more great fear to these men. They'd never experienced anything like that before. You know, the same thing happened uh, to Jesus' disciples in Luke chapter 8. Remember, they're out and they're sailing across the lake and... Uh, the, the men are taking the boat across and all of a sudden a storm comes up, a huge wind comes up and things are really scary. Where's Jesus? He's asleep. Jesus knows he, he was asleep. They get him out and Jesus, don't you care that we could perish? Jesus looks at the sea, looks at the water and he says, peace, be still. And what happens? The sea is like glass. And his disciples look at him and worship and say, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. See, the, these men who are with Jonah, these, these men now believe in the God of Jonah. Jonah has given his life for the salvation of these men. God has worked a miracle on the sea, but he's also, I think, working a miracle in their hearts. But then finally, we read of the fact that God hadn't finished with Jonah. Verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Isn't that an interesting word? God appointed a, fi a great fish. Wow, 
Now, Jonah, Jonah was not innocent. In fact, he was directly rebellious. But God was gracious to Jonah. He got appointed a great fish to swallow him up and to provide him three days in what I sometimes call the mother of all timeouts. Jonah's in the mother of all timeouts, but, but God isn't finished with this reluctant missionary. Sometime if I come back again, we'll look at the rest of this book, which I'm sure you've probably read and studied as a child. Here's, here's where I want to end. What, what, so what did I tell this lady on the plane who wanted to know where her son was spending eternity? I said to her, ma'am, I don't know the answer to that question. So let me tell you, though, that I believe in a God who is loving and gracious, who loves us more than we can ever possibly know. He created us perfectly, and he created us in his image. Problem is that with Adam and Eve in the garden, they started to sin, and we've been sinning from the beginning. And all of us, all of us sin. We've done things we ought not to do. We've failed to do the things we ought to do. We don't have any excuse. We're all sinful, and we deserve God's punishment. But God is gracious. God sent his son Jesus to this earth. He, he lived the life we could not live. He died the death we deserved. He paid the price for our sin on the cross. He died, and then he rose from the dead. And my Bible tells me that if, if we believe that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and if we'll trust in Jesus to be the forgiver of our, our sins and the leader of our lives, our Savior and our Lord, if we believe that, then no matter what we have ever done, all of our sins are washed away and we spend eternity in heaven with him. She looked at me with tears in her eyes and she said, and my son could have done that just before he crossed the center line, couldn't he? Said, yes, ma'am, he sure could have. So I gave her my card in the name of a couple of local pastor friends of mine that I was sure would be willing to walk through this with her. Prayed and we both cried. And then we parted company. And friends, I want to say that the same message is, is for you today. Same message is for you today. Maybe today for the first time you think, oh, so that's what this thing, the gospel is about. That's, I need, I need a savior. If that's you today, then today. Trust Christ. Commit yourselves to following him. And maybe for the rest of us, God has put already, or may put today, someone in our path who needs to hear about Jesus. Someone waiting to hear about Jesus from you today. Why don't you find a way to communicate, to start a conversation, to see what God would do in you and through you. Who's waiting to hear from you today? May God open our eyes and our ears to be faithful to him, to be willing to share our faith with someone to do it today. Father, that's our prayer. We know our world is lost and dying. We know there's not a person alive who doesn't need you. God, open our eyes. Open our ears. Open our hearts. That we would be Jesus.
to someone in need. That's our prayer in his name. Amen.